listening to the Liddell Adventist Church Podcast. Today, Pastor Ryan Biddo unpacks what it means to suffer like Jesus did. Begin this message by reading from Isaiah 53 from the message. The servant grew up before God, a scrawny seedling, a scrubby plant in a parched field. There was nothing attractive about him, nothing to cause us to take a second look. He was looked down on and passed over, a man who suffered, who knew pain firsthand. One look at him and people turned away. We looked down on him, thought he was scum. But the fact is, it was our pains he carried. Our disfigurements, all the things that are wrong with us, he thought he brought it on himself. We thought he brought it on himself. That God was punishing him for his own failures. But it was our sins that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him. Our sins. He took the punishment and that made us whole. Through his bruises we get healed. We are like sheep who've wandered, who've gotten lost. We've all done our own thing, gone our own way. And God has piled all our sins, everything we've done wrong, on him. He was beaten, he was tortured, but he didn't say a word. Like a lamb taken to be slaughtered, and like a sheep being sheared, he took it all in silence. Justice miscarried, he was led off. And did anyone really know what was happening? He died without a thought for his own welfare, beaten bloody for the sins of my people. They buried him with the wicked, threw him in a grave with a rich man, even though he'd never hurt a soul or said one word that wasn't true. This passage of scripture is known as the the chapter about the suffering servant. Today I continue our sermon series on suffering. And so far we have looked at suffering in the lives of other people. We've looked at a theological perspective of suffering from C.S. Lewis. And Rose shared with us just last week what it means to empathize with those who are suffering. Today I want to explore what does it mean to experience suffering alongside with Jesus. I don't know if we've actually done this yet, but I thought I'd share with you a definition of the word suffering. One dictionary definition says, suffering means to experience or be subjected to something bad or unpleasant. In the last uh, few weeks, I've been getting together with a few of my colleagues, uh, Josh Wood, some of you may know him, some of you are related to him, and a former pastor here, Fraser Catton. And we've been studying together. We wanted to look at what does the New Testament say about the expression of church? In the 21st century, we do church, we have a way, we have a form. But let's just get together and do some study around this idea. What has God called us to in the New Testament to experience as an expression of church. And this has been such a a fun time for myself and my friends as we sort of just break down the New Testament and just walk through some of these big ideas. 
And one thing that, that, that pops up time and time again is the notion that the New Testament church was to embrace the call to suffering in their lives. And I got to be honest with you, preparing this sermon, journeying through these Bible studies with my friends, it makes me uncomfortable. Getting up here to share this topic has made me feel ridiculously uncomfortable. Because as I look at the standard that is being upheld in the New Testament, I couldn't see us being more further so far apart from this New Testament standard than where we are today in Western, modern Australia. I want to break down what did it mean for Jesus, what did it mean for his followers to experience suffering. And hopefully through this journey, perhaps we can glean some lessons on what it means to be the church today. The journey of suffering for Jesus seems to begin all the way in the very beginning of the Bible, and we won't turn there. But as Adam and Eve decide to make that fateful choice that will, that will forever change the course of history, we find that God comes and speaks into the situation by addressing the serpent, by addressing Eve, and by addressing Adam for the choices they have made. And in that narrative... In Genesis 3.15, we see that there will be an element of suffering for the Messiah, the promised one who is going to change everything that went wrong there in that garden. And so the Bible continues to tell us this through its narrative, and I'm not going to explore the prophets, but I'm going to jump right into the New Testament. There's many, many references, and this is one of the hardest things for me to, to, to prepare because there's just so, so much that the New Testament has to say on this topic. And picking relevant verses was, was no easy task. But Luke 22:15, we have the words of Jesus here, and he says, I have been e very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. Suffering. I thought I should share this with you. I cannot see the people that I'm going to pick on right now. But the word suffering, the root word for suffering in the New Testament, this Greek word is actually the word pasco. And I cannot see my good friends, the pascos. I wanted to have a little stir at them. But it's very interesting. You see this word pasco. And this word pasco means to suffer. And Jesus acknowledges when he's having his final meal with his disciples, that he is about to suffer. And before he suffers, he wants to have this final expression of, of, of his love for his disciples. And the things that are about to play out, he's going to present to them in symbols. Jesus is about to suffer. Thank you, by the way, musicians, for your worship. That final song really paints a beautiful picture of how Jesus suffered. So not only do we see Jesus suffering there, I've got some other references. Luke 24, verse 46. In Acts, Jesus appears after his resurrection, talking about how he was supposed to suffer. As the story continues in the early church, you actually see it as a part of the gospel message, as a part of the message that is to go out to Gentiles, that is to go out to the whole world, to the Jewish people. A part of this message involved sharing the story of Jesus' sufferings. Here Paul is talking in Acts chapter 17 and verse 3 and he says, He explained the prophecies and proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. He said, this Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. 
suffering. It's such an integral part of the story of Jesus, and yet it seems to be a part of the story that we don't really focus on a whole lot. I think the very first time I really came, uh, 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 the first time I really came into contact with this idea of Jesus' suffering was when I was a teenage boy and the passion of Christ hit the movie screens. Anybody go and watch that film? I'm curious, how many haven't watched that film? Okay, this is a good few of you. Don't watch it. It's, it's, well, you could watch it. I'm not going to say don't or do watch it. But there, Mel Gibson, if you don't know Mel Gibson as a director, he seems to like violence. Any of his films, I guess, it, you know, the writing was on the wall. He was the, the starring actor of Mad Max. Um, and so his portrayal of Jesus, it's just one bloody, gruesome experience. And I, I don't know if, the, if there was a little bit of overplay uh, in this presentation of what Jesus experienced, but man, if you, wanted a, if you want a full-on experience of what it might have looked like for Jesus to suffer, maybe give this film a watch. I got to give you a pair, this is not for kids, but it is just so full-on. And this is the message that Paul and the other disciples proclaim as they share the story of Jesus, the salvation story. And when you see something like that, when you really process what Jesus went through, you, you, you cannot leave this. You cannot drop, drop this, this, this image from your memory. Jesus is suffering. Not only is Jesus suffering a theme in the New Testament, in the Gospels, in the book of Acts, but we also see that his leaders were also open to that very same suffering. And to look at this, I really want to focus on the life of the Apostle Paul. Paul is such a unique character. And the more I explore this man, the more I get to know him, the more I just have this deep sense of admiration. Because I see this man doing things that I could only dream of doing. The Ryan that stands before you right now struggles with the things that not only Jesus did, but his good friend Paul also did. And I'm going to share with you some of the things Paul has gone through. And maybe in doing that, you might understand what kind of faith, what kind of commitment this man had for his Savior, Jesus. So this all begins in Paul's calling to ministry. Much like in, uh, in, in uh, Jesus' life, we see these prophecies leading up to Jesus' suffering. Paul, too, as he is called into the gospel ministry, is invited to experience suffering. We have this guy in, in the story, in his story called Ananias. And God says to Ananias through the Spirit, Ananias, I want you to encounter this man Saul. I got a special job for him. I've got a special task for him. And Ananias is like, <clears throat> I don't know if I can talk to this guy, God. He is one piece of work. I mean, you've seen what he's been doing. And God says to Ananias, no, 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 I'm serious. I really want you to talk to him. I have something special prepared for him. And so it says in verse 15 of chapter 9, But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to make my message to the Gentiles and to the kings. Paul has been set apart for a very specific and unique work. <clears throat> verse 16 says, And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So right from the beginning, right from the beginning of Paul's call to ministry, 
is an invitation to experience suffering. That's hard. I mean, I'm going to be honest. I, I think I've shared this with you. I'm not going to go into details. But my calling to ministry, I think, was a bit of a supernatural thing. It wasn't a normal story. It's not like everybody else's. And I'm not saying that should be the standard for people being called into ministry. But at no point in that call did I sense God saying, Ryan, I'm inviting you to experience suffering. And maybe if God had invited me to suffering, who knows if I would have said yes. I'm being completely honest. I am afraid of pain. And I mean, like, I, I, I chipped my tooth. This tooth right here, it's 100% false. And that's because when I was a seven-year-old boy, my mom said, Ryan, don't go skateboarding on the Sabbath. And I'm like, whatever, mom. And I went and I broke my tooth. Not saying that was God doing anything crazy, but I broke my tooth. And so what follows is like five years of painful dentist experiences. And you know, I, I'm like going every like month or so to get this tooth worked on. And I, every time the dentist pulls out this needle and cause this tooth is at the very front, I'm just seeing this needle approach my mouth. And in my chair, I'm just like grasping, really just hanging on. And the dentist is like, whoa, Ryan, just, uh, you're gonna break my chair, buddy. And I hate pain. I just hate pain. And I dare say if God had invited me to this experience, I wouldn't have said yes. And this is a part of Paul's calling to ministry. There are so many pastors in this room, and I'd love to chat to you about how would you have felt if God said, Ian, I'm inviting you to a life of pain and suffering. I don't know how I would have felt if that was me. So this is really interesting. And you see this plays out. Paul in this, the letter to the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he is struggling with this issue. And this issue is basically this. Some other people had come to the church that he had helped establish, and people were trying to usurp his authority. They said they had better experiences with Jesus. They were better followers of Jesus. And some of the things they were teaching were just not theologically you know, watertight. And Paul just got so frustrated because he had a real heart for these people. And he had endured so much in order to bring them the message of Jesus. And so as a rebuttal to the leadership of these, these false leaders, Paul actually goes, okay, these guys have been boasting about what they have done, why they're qualified. I don't like to do this. And you can, you can read this in between the lines. Here, but Paul's like, I don't like to boast. But if you want me to show how dedicated I am to this gospel message, let me give you a little taste. And here's what he says in his letter. You know, are these people servants of Christ that you're following? I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more than they have. I have worked harder. I have been put in prison more often. I have been whipped times without number. I can't count how many times I've been whipped. And I have faced death again and again. Verse 24, five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. The Jews had this punishment that, and they had this belief, if you got beaten 40 times, you would die. So they would take one beating off and you would hopefully survive. And Paul experiences that four times, okay? Uh, three times I have been beaten with rods. Once I was even stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift in the Mediterranean Sea. 
Verse 26, I have traveled on my long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. Verse 27, I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have gotten uh, often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Jesus was kind of right, wasn't he? Paul, you're going to suffer. He's, I'm inviting you to experience suffering. And then Paul just outlines it. And, you know, what this shows me, and, and I don't want to, I, I need to make this clear. I wasn't sure at what point I was going to do this in my message I don't believe that God is saying, guys, you need to start putting yourself in situations where you can get beat up. I don't think that's the message here. But what I want to demonstrate, it, man, there's a deep level of commitment to this gospel message. Can you see that? Can you see that there is a real heart? I mean, you've got to believe 110% in this message if you're going to be prepared to go through this kind of agony. And what this tells me is that at the heart of the gospel message, you know, what it does in the life of the believer, it turns them from a selfish person, but into this altruistic person who is prepared to put life and body <clears throat> and soul on the line for God's message. Paul perfectly captures what it means to be a Christian who is on fire. And, to, and as far as Paul's experience is concerned, I think what it's telling us is, the believer is prepared to go through whatever it takes to get that message out there. And I struggle with that. I struggle with that. Because right now, I don't know if that's Ryan Vida, your pastor. And as I'm going through this, I'm like, man, God, I mean, you're slapping me all over the place with Paul. I don't know if I can do this. This is hard stuff. I wanted to look at one more thing that Paul shares, and this sort of, I'm going to actually look at a few more things that Paul shares, but I just wanted to read one more passage that Paul wrote, and this was in Acts. He actually, in the book of Acts chapter 20, he's leaving the city of Ephesus, and as he leaves the city of Ephesus, he invites the elders of the church, and he says to them, hey guys, I've got to go, the Spirit is leading, I feel like I need to return to Jerusalem, and it's very interesting what he says to this church, to these church leaders, Acts chapter 20, and we'll pick up in verse 22. And so now, guys, I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me, guys. I, I don't know what's in store for me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me, this is what happens every time, guys, the Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lies ahead for me. I don't know what's going to happen when I go to Jerusalem, but one thing I can bank on, Jesus through the Spirit has told me that I, I'm, I'm pretty much to expect jail and some beatings. Ah, Paul, you're just doing my head in. How, how does he just say so upbeat? How does he continually put himself in this predicament? My life is worth nothing. That's from verse 24. My life is worth nothing to me unless I am using it to finish the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. Wow. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful 
grace of God. Paul, this guy. I mean, like, you, you, many of us know the background of Paul. For those of you who don't, this guy was an ultra-conservative Jew, couldn't be further from hating the movement of Jesus. He couldn't, you know, hate Christians more. He was responsible for killing many. And now this guy is putting himself into the exact same positions as the people he was persecuting. And he says he knows God has spoken to him. You know, early on we, heard, we see the calling, but we don't know if that's what he knows that he's walking into that. But in this passage, we are told that he was expecting these sorts of things. This is crazy stuff. What follows next is something, I, I think I need to read this because it's just, there's a lot of information. Like I said, I had to really decide what am I going to include, what am I not going to include. And I just wanted to look with you very quickly, Paul's theology on suffering. There's a lot of textual references here. And so if you want to see those, by all means, come contact me and I will give you a copy of this because I'm just going to be flying through. But here is how Paul seems to establish a, a, a theology of suffering, a, you know, a doctrine on why I suffer. So for Paul, suffering actually seems to be a normal part of the Christian experience. And, and he, he, he believed that the individual, the Christian, uh, their, their, their experience was, should be caught up in, number one, having a solid identity um, as a, in Christ, and this marries with this idea that when you have this solid identity in Christ, the message that you have to share, it may be offensive. And so let's unpack what that really means. So these two aspects of Paul's theology on suffering. So Paul sees you know, the Christian identity as this experience where the gospel lives inside you and me. It's not just four books of the Bible that were, were written, but as you read the story of Jesus... This encounter with Jesus should lead to a heart change, should lead to something changing on the inside. And this is the gospel living inside you and me. And so when we encounter the gospel, it gives birth to us. It gives us birth to new life. And next week we get to celebrate the journey of two of our young people as they have experienced the newness that Christ wants to bring into their lives. And so we experience birth and we celebrate that through baptism. We experience this burial to our old way of life and we rise to a new way of life. And this was not, this was not just symbolic to Paul. This was evidence of something that was taking place in a very real way in the life of the believer. And so as they get buried, Paul says in Romans 10 verse 9 to 10 that the Christian must identify himself with Jesus Christ both externally and internally. He writes, If you confess with your lips that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So, so the gospel is this thing that you encounter in a very real and dynamic way. And so for Paul, the gospel is this thing that you experienced. But not only would you experience, because you're living this, because you're experiencing this, you couldn't help but spontaneously share this with everybody you encounter. And I've got, like I said, I've got plenty of scriptural background if you want to come and check some of these passages out. But Paul believed when you have this encounter, this life-changing transformation, this life-changing experience with Jesus, you can't help but share it. 
You just want to tell people about how great God is, how great his son Jesus is, and what they have planned to do for your life. You can't help but share that. Now, the problem is, Paul says, you're going to hit a roadblock because eventually you're going to realize, as far as Paul is concerned, you're going to have one of two options to make. Are you going to be ashamed of the gospel? You know, you've experienced this life transformation. So are you going to be ashamed of of this message? Are you going to be afraid to share it? Or number two, are you going to let this gospel message so consume your life and the lives of the people that you surround yourselves with, your family, your friends, your work peers, whoever you come into contact with? Paul says the gospel is going to have a polarizing effect on the believer. And they have to make a decision, what am I going to do? Am I going to suffer for the gospel or am I going to choose to forsake the gospel and pursue a life of comfort? And so this is Paul's belief on what what does it mean to encounter Jesus? But how does this lead to suffering? According to Paul, the gospel, when I look at Paul, and this is one of the things I've been doing as I've explored with my friends, you you know, expressions of the New Testament, Paul's gospel really pushes against the boundaries of culture and society. Like, I mean, he does it in a, in a loving way. He does it in a truth, you know, spirit-filled way with truth and love. But I've got to be honest with you. As Paul presents the gospel, it really pushes back against society's norms. He's talking about how idolatry sucks. It's useless. He's talking to people about how their sexual immorality is really just not on. And he confronts some of the big issues of his day as he spontaneously shares Jesus. And as he does that, he says, you know, right throughout his letters to the church, you will experience persecution because of this. You're agitating people. You're making people feel uncomfortable as they start to realize the inadequacy of their faith, of their religions, of their self-righteousness. Paul really puts a spotlight. And I want you to think about if you were to put a spotlight into the, the, the lives of your friends and families, if you were to really bring Jesus in his fullness to people, what kind of an impact would it have on everyone? Now, I'm not saying that you need to go into your workplace on Monday morning and say, Jesus is Lord, you guys are sinning. No, 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 no. Of course, we're not asking you to do that. But you've got to acknowledge, you've got to recognize as you start to share Jesus with other people, You'll be pressing against some hard things. One of my good friends from high school came out. He lives in Canberra. He, uh, he's, he's gay. And um, one time I was in Canberra visiting a bunch of my friends. There was him and another friend. And at this point I was studying theology. And he says, hey, Ryan, can you um, tell me more about Seventh-day Adventist? I'm interested so I'm talking about our faith. I'm talking about what we believe, our unique, our unique doctrines and why they're so important and valuable for everyone. And I know this is coming, but it gets to a point where it says, Ryan, what does your church say about homosexuality? What does the Bible say? And I think to myself, man, I, what am I supposed to say? I mean, Romans chapter 1 has got some pretty hardcore things to say. If you haven't read Romans chapter 1, whoa, have a read. Paul, like I said, intense guy. And I have a decision to make. Am I going to share what I believe the truth of the Bible is on this topic? How do I do it in a way that Jesus would? Because I think Jesus has perfect tact. And I managed to share with him, you know, as truthfully as I thought what the Bible said on this topic. Basically, the short answer is it's not 
the Bible doesn't think it's a great thing, is where we went down that path. And he wasn't comfortable with that. I could see he was agitated. This was my good friend. I went to see him. Friends, sometimes if we're really honest with ourselves, if people are asking about ourselves, this isn't even us going to people. We've got to admit that the gospel makes people uncomfortable. I'm not saying to, 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 to you know, just Bible bash people. On the other hand, I'm, I'm, I think Paul's saying we can't afford to shy away. Jesus' message, according to the word, is the light of men. It lights up dark places. And for many of us, we are afraid to flash that light into our own lives, let alone the lives of our friends. The other reason why Paul seems to suggest that, that suffering is going to be the way of the believer, it's to do with the, reason, the way that the Christian experienced salvation. You see, the Christian's God is a man who died on the cross like we sang. And nothing could be more offensive to a Jew or a Gentile person. Your God died on a cross. I mean, that's like saying, you know, you're, you know, you're spiritually... It's just like saying Ellen White, you know, spent 20 years in jail. And we're saying, hey, this founder of our church, she's got some good things to say. But she went to jail. Why would I listen to this woman's, you know, teachings? Why would I follow her? I'm just trying to think of just ways to conceptualize this. To the first century era, following Jesus is very offensive. Are you serious? You want me to worship this guy? And so as Paul shares the gospel, he is opening himself up to, to suffering, to ridicule, to violence, to hurt, you know, to broken relationships. And he really starts to set a high standard for what it means to live out Christianity in a day-to-day kind of a way. Paul has a few things he says to churches, and I'm going to read one of those things. In Romans chapter 8, he says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when He adopted you as one of your children. Isn't that exciting, guys? Think about that. God has taken you into His family. He calls you one of his children. Now we call him Abba. That's Hebrew for dad. That's Aramaic, sorry, for dad. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Verse 17, and since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. And here's the punchline. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his pasco, his suffering. Hey, guys, you're filled with the Spirit. That's great. You're in power. You're, you know, you're children of God. Now you need to, to represent the family. And there's an invitation, guys, to suffer. Ouch. Suffering, guys, it's a part of the early church's experience. So much so, in John's seven letters that he writes to the seven churches in Asia, one of them is to a small church called Smyrna. And Smyrna had this issue. They knew that they were about to face some hard times. And this is what John says to them through Jesus. Verse 10 of chapter 2. Don't be afraid, Smyrna, of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days. But if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Guys, this isn't just an individual invitation, but it's actually a corporate invitation to suffering. 
And it seems that in the early church, they were invited to suffer even to the point of death. Paul's hardcore attitude for sharing the gospel was not just his alone, but this seems to have infected the lives of other first century believers. And I don't know what happened to all of those guys. We don't know how many of them actually died as they stood up for their faith, as they endured persecution. But as the Bible closes, it seems to be clear that suffering is going to be a part of the church's experience as they share Jesus. You know, so I think to myself, you know, every time I've been confronted with these kinds of um, these, these passages in the scriptures through my life, or even as I prepare this sermon, you know, I guess the old me comes out and it's just like, God, why can't we just bring the fight to them? I mean, it's like, why can't we just bring a bit of the biff? If they want to hurt us, let's hurt them back. Come on. I'm, I, I don't want to be walked over. And as I'm preparing this, I found this fascinating quote by Martin Luther King Jr., a guy who experienced much suffering at the hands of many. And he, was, he, he has this speech and he talks about the role of violence and its futility. It's, it's, there's no point, guys. Here's what he says. The ultimate weakness of violence is that it is a descending spiral, beginning the very thing that it seeks to destroy. Fellow black brothers, if we are going to bring violence to our friends to stop the racism, we're just continuing the cycle, is what he's saying. Instead of diminishing evil, it multiplies it. Through violence, you may murder the liar, but you cannot murder the lie, nor establish the truth. Through violence, you may murder the hater. You, you, you do not murder the hate. In fact, violence merely increases hate. So it goes. Returning violence for violence multiplies violence, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Now, if you don't know, Martin Luther King Jr. was actually a Baptist preacher. And here's where he brings some gospel. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. I want to finish by reading up a quote from 1 Peter. In 1 Peter, we have this letter. And at this point in the letter, Paul, Peter sorry, is addressing servants, slaves, who may have experienced abuse under the leadership of their, of their masters who weren't of the faith, who weren't Christian. And here's what he says, and I'm reading from a paraphrase from the remedy. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. If you are a slave, be respectful to your master and submit to their authority, not just to those who are kind and good, but also to those who are cruel and severe. For God is pleased... When we freely choose to honor him by, bear, uh, by graciously bearing unjust treatment, suffering, and thereby revealing his character of selfless love. In this paraphrase, it comes out that when we endure suffering for the sake of the gospel, you know what it does? It tells people a sermon about who our God is. Better than any sermon that I could preach, that Rob could preach, that Rose could preach. When you endure suffering for the sake of the gospel, it sends a message. Be clear. Verse 20, Peter asks this rhetorical question. How is God's healing of your character revealed if you endure beating for doing wrong? 
But if you are beaten for doing wrong and graciously endure it, this reveals the character of God and brings him honor. Verse 21. So this is what we are called to do, to reveal God's character in our lives. Because Christ suffered for your healing and restoration, giving a perfect revelation of God. And you should model your life after his. That's powerful. The New American Standard Bible reads verse 21 as, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Friends, it's a bit of a confronting sermon. I haven't talked about application. I haven't talked about how this plays out in a Western context. I don't know if we're going to, I don't think we're open up to death or violence or bullying, maybe yet. But suffering is something that the Christian will encounter as they share their faith in boldness. And right now, I just want to pray for all of us because I think this is something the world needs. Bold Christians who are prepared to suffer for the sake of the gospel. So I'm going to invite you now to bow your heads as we close this message, this time of worship in prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, suffering sends shivers down my spine. I'm uncomfortable with it. I don't like this. It's a bit of a dirty word. I like comfort personally. I wished you had given a gospel of comfort. But that doesn't seem to be the case. It seems that Jesus' experience was that of suffering. Paul, one of the foundational leaders, one of the pillars of the early church, his experience was that of suffering. Even the early church was invited to experience suffering. And more often than not, Paul seems to indicate that we need to suffer with joy. I don't know how far we are from that ideal collectively as a church. But man, it scares me, and I dare say it scares my brothers and sisters here today. This standard of suffering that you have set for us. I know there are times in my life where I have not stepped up to the plate to share my faith. Because comfort is more appealing to me than suffering for the sake of the gospel. And maybe that's the case of some of my friends here today. But Father, I pray through your spirit that you would convict us of the importance of carrying your gospel message in spite of the consequences. And to do it as well with the spirit of truth and love. Not to beat people over their heads in, a, in an abusive, in a cruel kind of way, but to really share from a place of love. Even still, we're told that we may experience suffering. We may experience pasco, discomfort. And so I just want to say thank you that you have given us an example in the person of Jesus, that you have given us an example in the person of Paul in the early church. And I pray that as a community that we can work through this and really uh, sort of grow as people who are going to be just like the people back in that first century time. So thank you. Thank you for your belief in us. Thank you that you keep on trusting us and give us opportunities to grow and develop. Bless us now. Keep us safe. This is my prayer in the wonderful name of Jesus, our Lord who suffered. Amen.